Lucky episode 13 or is last episode 13? I think we're like on 15 or something. Dang, look out. We have officially been making oh, yeah. some... There it is. Welcome back to Wood Air and Metal episode whatever-ish in the teens. Teen angst. Episode teen angst. That's what we're going with. Yeah, there we go. And uh, yeah, we're back. Adam Keeler sitting over here on this microphone through the Zoom space. Tim Mirth, another lefty. Oh, yeah. Another thing. And talking more guitar stuff. A little bit more focused today, at least in theory. That's what I'm going to try to be. Um, and then he invited me on this show. <laughs> well, you know, I, I can be hyper-focused, you know. I need somebody to, to kind of move things along to different topics. Otherwise, I just keep picking at it. If we Nothing. need a topic, I do have a topic. Oh, you do have a topic? I should have said that before. But... Well, we'll totally use your topic. But let's totally start with this... Uh, because we were talking about the guitar serial killers last time, and Charles Manson actually played guitar. And if I remember right, because I watched this, uh, I listened to this podcast called uh, Unexplained, which is, you know, it's got the UFO Sasquatch thing going on just for entertainment. But other times he talks about historical figures, and one of them was Charles Manson. And he definitely was like a singer songwriter trying to quote unquote make it for a while. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. But clearly he had. Uh, some mental issues, <laughs> to put it bl- uh, lightly, with that. Which is so, very uncommon for musicians. Yeah, that never happens. Never happens. Like we're, we're the most sane people on the planet. Yes. It. Uh, yeah. So, anyways, they have a guitar in Tennessee. I guess it's on display in a museum. It's a classical, of course. Great. What? <laughs> what does that say about me? <laughs> of course, I don't like the Beatles, and uh, apparently, like, totally. we're not in the same room. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's why we're doing it during Zoom. It has nothing that's to right. do with, it has everything to do with Charles Manson owned a classical guitar, and apparently he was friends with the drummer from the Beach Boys, David Dennis Wilson. Oh. Uh, yeah, they well, they all said he was creepy, obviously, <laughs> and then yeah, Wait, De- thought- Dennis said Charles was creepy. Yep, yep. You know, I wonder if he said that at the time or if he said it after the fact. Well, I don't know. It's, who knows? Probably at the facts because he seemed like a pretty weird dude. Like everything that I heard on that unexplained podcast, it's like yeah, this guy, this guy was definitely into the whole hippie drug culture scene, but way further out there than anybody else was at at the time. Uh, I mean, he thought, yeah, there it was. Yeah, he thought that uh, the Helter Skelter was a coded message about a race war. Oh, okay. there we go. So he's got that going for him. <laughs> he also thought he was God's gift to music. There we go. Huh. Yeah, so semi-delusional? Just a bit? Just a bit? How do you know it wasn't about that? Uh, I have no <laughs> idea what the hell Skelter Skelter was about. <laughs> Lovers but no dancers. That's, that, that's the only like, uh, lyric to the song that I remember. I don't know. <clears throat> Someone like Manson just becoming friends with a major magician like that just seems crazy. But that's what happened. Yeah. Wow. He was like really hanging out with Wilson for a while. <laughs> yeah, like I said, he, did he really think that that guy was uh, crazy? Or? Huh. And, uh, that wasn't Wilson's comment on him. That was uh, oh, okay. somebody else's. Uh, yeah, I didn't make that clear. Sorry. That's all good. Interesting. You know, it's kind of when you said that. Did you ever watch the show The Patriot? Did I ever get you to watch that on Amazon Prime? No. I mean, it's, 
it might be about my favorite show that I've ever watched in a lot. And there's only two seasons, and they actually canceled it because it was one of those shows like it was perfect, but all the people on it got into other stuff, and then it, they took like five years to make the next season, and then now it's like okay, it's too much work to get everybody together. Um, <clears throat> and it's not it has nothing to do with the Patriot movie. It's about this guy who's like a secret agent or whatever like for the government and uh he's just super depressed and he's smoking pot and stuff and he's a folk singer too and he always sings about his missions and like <laughs> and his dad happens to be like the government guy that is his boss or whatever so he's always like a secret spy like always you know pretending to be somebody and he's like man you gotta stop singing about the missions <laughs> Because that's like his only way, that's like his coping mechanism for the things he's doing. Cause he's like, yeah, he's like, I accidentally killed the guy in the hotel today. I thought he was the bad guy, but he was just folding sheets or whatever. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, he's like giving away all this information. That, like that show would be oh, right. It's, so my- good. it's, it's simultaneously out. the most depressing and funniest show you've ever seen. Kind of like Bojack Horseman. <laughs> in a totally different way than Bojack. Okay, <laughs> Bojack is Bojack's like... a little more like slapstick. This is more like um, I don't want to say it's slapstick, but I think you know what I mean. It's like yeah, some of it's, it's intentionally little... like humorous. This is not not that it's not intentionally humorous, but it's much more like subtle humor, I guess I should say. <clears throat> um, but then it, what's funny too is is he actually this isn't giving away too much. He has to take on this new role in the first episode or whatever where he has to pretend to be this mechanical engineer for this firm because they they travel to this one, I can't remember what country it was, normally, which is a normally kind of a hard place to travel to without getting all kinds of special privileges and stuff. Um, so he couldn't just go there, um, whatever. So he had to like, so he had to get, he had like to do a job interview to be a mechanical engineer for this pipeline company thing or whatever. And he didn't really know that much about it. So he's like, He's real smart, but he's not particularly motivated because he's so down. <laughs> I don't know. It, it, it's just kind of funny, like the whole. And, he, and at some point, he like basically, without giving too much away, he he's sitting there at the urinal, like and during the interview. Um, and this one guy comes in who's real chatty, and he's like, "Man, I'm gonna level with you." <laughs> he's like, "I'm a spy for the government, and uh, I'm gonna need your urine." For this uh, this drug test, he's <laughs> <laughs> like it's for national importance, you know. Like it's just, like the whole thing is pretty. It's amazing, oh, yeah. amazing yeah. show. And the the guy, the dad from the '70s show, is the boss of the mechanical engineering firm. Okay, <laughs> and he like hates him. He hates this guy. <laughs> so, I think that guy gets cast as. Oh a- yeah, he's so good. Oh, it's so good. Perfect. Anyway, but it's always funny because every episode there's like a song that he wrote that's like becomes part of the episode. <laughs> okay, I gotta check that out. Just hearing that, how oh, it was like mostly depressed, singing about his missions. Oh yeah, and the it also does one last tidbit. I think it's the last episode of season one has the greatest five minute scene that's ever been in any TV show ever, and I won't tell you what it is, but you'll uh, know when you see it. I mean, you'll you'll just be like, I can't believe they pulled this off. Okay, it's amazing, amazing show. 
Highly so, recommended. It's a, it's a, um, I, I recommend it to somebody I work with, and they're like, it's a slow burn because it, it takes, it takes a little time. You got to give it some time to like. But if you're in the yeah. right mood and you like dark humor and those kind of things, you'll get it. I definitely enjoy the dark humor. And there's guitar in it, so it wasn't too off the beaten path. Here we go. Like uh, what? I just finished Solar Opposites season two. I don't even what? know what that is. Solar Opposites is like another show, comedy cartoon by the guys that do Rick and Morty. Okay. And then like these aliens escape their planet that's doomed and they go to take over the earth and it's just, they crash land, but they're like stuck and they yeah. have to, it's, it's really funny, like totally funny and completely self-aware, which is the thing that makes it even, like they have no problem with fourth wall stuff or, you know, meta jokes like the Rick and Morty. And it's, it's basically yeah. Rick and Morty with different characters. You know, it's it, it got like the most absurd adventures that they can possibly think of that they do. Um, yeah. One of the characters likes to shrink people, like regular people. If they piss him off, he'll shrink them and put them in his like wa- what they call the wall, which is like this ant thing of colony. And he's got like hundreds of people in there. They form their own society and everything else. It's yeah. like the subplot that's going on through the whole thing, and it's really funny. There's no guitar, though, so I don't know how that applies, but. <laughs> Uh, back to guitar stuff. Sure. So what's your topic? What's my what? Oh, what's my topic? We're already that. That's how. That's how limited we are. I'm just <laughs> well, I, no. I, so I, I I just posted about it too because I was thinking about it. This, um, actually, I'm kind of curious your take on it too. But my post was basically like if if you're a musician. And you're not learning stuff off of records, so to speak. I say records, but I mean recordings. Yeah, I get it. Um, you're like missing out on one of the greatest joys slash um, rewards you could get as a musician. And kind of highlighting that, uh, you know, I know it's it's like a, it's a tricky thing to do at first. It's really hard. But even like the thing is, it's like it's almost like when you read a autobiography. Like I think we might have talked about this once, but I, I love autobiographies, yeah. even though I know they're not always accurate, <laughs> because it's like you're living inside that person's head for a little while, right? It's yeah. It's it's almost like the biography might be factual about the person and tell you all the truth stuff, the truth stuff for the most part. But the autobiography really paints the picture of what that person is. But you kind of have to read between the lines. Like, oh, they're probably not telling the truth about that. Did they really do that? (laughs) Eh, Maybe not, but that's just part of their character, right? That's like getting to know them. And I feel like that's the same thing that happens when you listen to records and you you try to learn some of it. And I don't mean like writing it all down and doing the whole like analysis thing. I just mean putting a record on playing along with it, picking out pieces of it. Yeah, you, know, you you might stop it if there's something cool you want to check out. Mm-hmm. Um and like a little line or something you want to learn. Um or you want to learn the whole thing or or whatever. Um you really get to it's I feel like it's almost like you're saying like, "Hey, nice to meet you. What's going on?" It's good. you know, it's, it's almost like an autobiography and and even if all you can get is that that first little hello, you know, you, all you can get is one note. You're like, "That was a D. I know that was a D." You know, like if you <laughs> Yeah, when you I first guess. start, that's kind of where you're at. You're like, I knew that was a D. I got that one. Maybe you missed the next 30 notes. But it's like, hey, that's like saying, hey, I'm Tim. You're Bob. I really like your stuff. 
it's cool mm-hmm. to meet you you know it's like it's like that you're like getting to, to say hello um anyway and like i do it all the time i just and I, I don't know how many people do it i know a lot of people don't do it and then i know a lot of like jazz musicians it's such a it, it's a big thing to be like transcribing it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's like part of the murder passes which you really it's hard to do jazz if you don't do that um, but a lot of times that becomes like a very, like, I don't want to say it's tedious, but it becomes like this scholastic thing you do where you write the whole thing down and you do the full analysis and you do all these things. And that's, that's a lot of work to, to do that. So I'm not quite referring to that, even though that has great value. Uh, it's more of the, just getting little n- n- nuggets of what's going on. So for instance, in the last couple of days, um actually i grabbed a i was like I, tom quail thing came up and i remember i was like oh i never really like learned any tom quail like anything like what what's his deal so actually you can't really see it here but i kind of like wrote this line that i thought sounded cool down um and i was like oh that's what he did that's that's the little thing that's his little like because there's this sort of like tom quail thing i always hear him do you know, anytime I hear his solos, like there's little like tendencies that he has. Yeah. And yep. uh, that's sort of what you learn. Like, I'm like, oh, what, so what is that tendency? I was just curious at the moment and I just figured it out. And then, uh, you know, like there was a Billy Gibbons thing who was playing and like, I, <laughs> and I was like, oh, Billy Gibbons has these like cool little, like the way he does vibrato or whatever. And then the little bends he do does, you know, you can't really write it down. It doesn't have much value. Like, what are you going to do? Like, D, vibrato line. Like, that doesn't help you very much. You're like, oh, it bends down at the end or something. Um, It doesn't tell you how he does vibrato. Like, how do you get that sound? How do you get that feel? Um, And all these kind of things. So, I I don't know. So, I guess I put that out in the Facebook world, too. And I've already, like, it got, it's getting, like, people commenting on it and all that stuff. And... Anyway, I just thought it was interesting. Yeah, you know, th- and I did that. There was I've been on like a big Coltrane kick the last couple of days. Oh, yeah. That's all you talk about lately, which is um, fine. That's not a knock. I'm just man, saying, I'm like... such a. I, you know, I hadn't listened to much. I didn't really listen to much Coltrane in the last like six months or so because I've been trying to get this Red Side Visible thing done, and I'm just trying to stay focused in like the more metally sort of world and not get distracted by something else. And because I'm very easily like, oh, what's that? What's that over there? Um, I can just get all over the place. And uh, so I was really trying to stay focused. But now that that's done and I don't have to think about it like that anymore, um, I started letting myself listen again. And it's just, it's like I hear all the, it's going to sound bad, but I hear so many guitar players and stuff. And it's like, there's just like no comparison in my head between basically any guitar player. I can't think of anybody. That it was so deep as that guy, man. It's just like, it's like listening to, I don't know. It's like when you listen, I don't even know how to, I'm not, I'm trying to think of a good comparison, but it's like, it's like bar talk or something too, you know, it's like, when you're in the right frame of mind, like, it's just, it's so deep. There's so much information and so much good stuff and like emotions and Shostakovich and some of these people or all the great composers, right? You listen to, Bach or something like you 
really get in the frame of mind we're just like whoa how deep oh, yeah. is all this stuff and that's how i feel about coltrane too it's just like man like yeah like, that, did you get a hit in the head so anyway though but when i listen sometimes i just listen and enjoy it and just go off into wherever that takes you but then i, I do i am curious about how he does stuff so there's little like things he was doing that I was like, how would you pull that off on guitar? You know? So I, I was sort of like learning some Coltrane isms. Um, especially like the, so around the late, late fifties, early sixties, this is sort of sheets. They call it sheets of sound period. Okay. And so there's like, there's just washes of like lots of notes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's like it's a more amazing than like any guitar player you ever hear playing like fast stuff. Like just it's really interesting, and there's like there's like endless amounts of variations in it. It's never like the same um, variation. It's always always changing and always evolving. Like during the entire solo, it's always variations of it. So if the first time it was triplets, then now it's or not triplets. Like it's like groups of three. Now it's groups of five. And now it's groups of seven. And now it's groups of six, three, five, seven. You know, it's like all these different like variations of the whole thing. Like there's like endless amount of possibilities. That's why it's so deep. You're like, man, how does he have all this yeah. stuff so readily available? But uh, um, anyway, I was just kind of like, oh, how would you do it? And it, it really took like, I'm not going to show you here because I'm embarrassed, but um, it's things that could be applied to guitar, but not done. Like guitar players are really good at staying in sort of like a position or going this way. But when you start mixing the two together, we get a little bit uncomfortable. Um, Like if we stay on one or two strings, it's okay. But when you start, like if you have to think like from here up to here in this sort of like endless sort of thing we're not very good at it really um it's just easier to stay it's easier to stay here yeah no i just want to interject i'm not sure what you mean by um that okay so like it's easy for us to stay in position that much i got and then it's easy for us to go up a string right i mean in a sense it's it might not be fast but we 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 can really think this way. But when we start going like, um, it gets a little bit trickier. And then there's like, um, say you wanted to do, um, so he he'll do like these, but it's ten million times faster than that, <laughs> and. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't really sound right because the way he articulates it is not like like that. It's like there's you kind of have to like mix um, going side to side and up and down at the same time in these sort of interesting ways to sort of make that thing work the way he's making it work and in the way he's phrasing. It might be four notes that if you did it it went to a different string, it, it, it loses the right character. So you have to do four notes on the same string or five notes on the same string to get the right um, like sonic signature to it. Yeah, I mean, so, we do that. Um, 
not not that I'm saying like it, we're, we're doing it to imitate Coltrane or anything like that, but uh, when we're doing stuff with contrapuntal lines classically, that's exactly the decisions that we'll make. Like yeah. we'll keep like something particularly on, or at least myself. Well, not just myself. I know a lot of other guys that do this. It, if there's one particular line that we can maintain on the same string through the entire thing, we'll yeah. do that yeah. for that reason to keep the timbre the, the exact, right. the exact. No, even though it's like it might be next to nothing in terms of a difference between that, but it's still subtler because you're going to yeah. the string and you can hear that difference or what or voice versa, like going up to a uh, you could play the E there, but you know you really want it here because of the thickness of that that particular tone and that particular motif, like you know, right versus you know it's a three different. Sure within that versus one so i get that decision like i i don't think i've ever considered that when i've been improvising in any way shape or form but right. in terms of like classically it's like oh yeah all the time all the time yeah i noticed things too like um yeah definitely i mean it, well like when you're playing the blues and stuff like that you have to really think about those like well i could play the c here or i could kind of like You know, like, I could go, but it's better in a lot of ways for what I was trying to do, at least. You know, to, to go back here to get to yeah. that. You know, these these little, like, things you have to make decisions about. And that's, that's, like, what I was talking about with, like, learning stuff off of records, too. It's not... It's, like, some people really get stuck into what notes is he playing or what um, chord is it exactly. And you write it all down and you put it on a piece of paper, but that that almost has, like, limited value... Um, when you're first starting, it, it has value because you don't really understand theory that much. So you're like, oh, that's kind of interesting that he used an A on an F chord. You know? But like, yeah. eventually, like, well, that's just the third. I, you know, I know what that sound is. I kind of, you kind of get why they, these certain choices are made. Or oh, that was the sharp eleven or something. You're like, okay, so they're using like a Lydian kind of thing. Or you start to think you, you can kind of do that without having to write that down. I mean, but it also the problem with the writing it down is it doesn't always like in guitars are really interesting this way is it is all those little nuances or, mm -hmm. or even jazz, I guess really, but it's like, how did they play that note? <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. I know it just says C, but it was it, or was it, or what, you know, like how did you get to that note? Exactly. Um, exactly. Yep. Was there's so many little things. What did you play it back here? Or did you play it here? And I know we've tried to write a lot of different ways to spell these out, but we're not... There's... Even in guitar music, you know, like classical music, where it is really well spelled out, it's not really well... You know, it's not spelled oh, yeah. out enough. There's there's a lot of room for interpretation. So when you're trying to mimic, like... And that's the reason why Christopher Parkinson sounds different than John Williams, it sounds different than Sharon Esben, that sounds different. They Even if they played it exactly the same tempo, they're going to sound different because of the little nuances that they do. So yep. if you really wanted to like, well, I really love the way that John Williams did it, but I don't really like the way Christopher Parkinson did it or something, or it's not my favorite, yeah. then it would do you good to actually listen to John and try to mimic it, right? Like how mm -hmm. did he do that thing? I'm just picking on a name, but um, yeah, it's all those little things. So same thing happens when you're like, I'm, I'm like, I hear Coltrane and then I think, like how does how does that apply to a guitar and like what are the little things you'd have to do so you know there's learning that stuff and that kind of language and sometimes it's not 
sometimes it's less about the notes but more about um the vibe if that makes yeah sense. no i mean that makes complete sense to me yeah. and to, to just like take the original uh, statement of doing stuff by ear it's been a long time since i'm functionally done that like intentionally sat down it's like i'm gonna outside of when i'm teaching like if a student's like hey can we show me the song it's like sure yeah. it's like oh yeah this is it You know, it's like it just takes two seconds and and I'm done with it. Um, so I haven't sat down and like done any lines. I used to all the time. Like you know, the, the first you know ten Satch albums or whatever, uh, it would be like buy the album on CD, come home, put it in the CD player, listen to it, sit there with my electric guitar and try and figure out exactly what the guy was doing. Yeah. The, I never wrote it out, but I would at least do it by ear. Sure. It, uh, parents would dread those days. <laughs> it's just like, oh great, the new Satch album or whatever album's yeah, right. out. Maybe that I'm gonna be sitting in this room cranking out the tunes, uh, cranking up the tunes and playing the the guitar. The um, and I think that's an incredibly valuable tool. Like it's it has to be. That's the only way that you're gonna get your ear to be physically attached to your fingers. You know, uh, yeah. that's you just have to train it that way. There's ear I, training. I think it's just fun too. Like oh yeah, I mean the secret. Uh, to, I love this quote from Michael Hedges that he's like the secret of discovery is extremely sweet. Yeah, yeah, sure. it is. There's nothing like hitting that right note where it's like, ha ha, there it is. That's what he's doing. Right. And uh, maybe I'm I'm, I'm, all, I'm often surprised too. Like sometimes you hear the craziest thing, and you think, man, what the heck is that? And then you go and figure it out, and you go, huh? And it's something really simple. Yeah. And you're yeah. like, oh, okay, like, huh? So if you just change that one little thing, then it does that. That's that's kind of neat. So you learn these little like tricks or whatever too. And that's what I mean about personality too. It's like you're not only you're not just learning um, that that person's a good player or something like that. You're learning the things they figured out, you know, mm -hmm. the things they discovered. You're learning like about their like personality and sense of, maybe they, they their sense of humor or no sense of humor. You know, like <laughs> are they the type of person that can put a little joke in their playing, so to speak? Or are they the type of person that's like everything's very serious and the, and those are just really interesting. Like there's, it's almost like a reading an autobiography. Like you learn about these little uh, intricacies about them. Um, well, I think it's, fundamentally that's what it is. You're getting a live autobiography. Yeah. When I mean, granted, if it's a live show, but you know, even on a record, it's like it's a recorded autobiography. They're telling you their story just through notes in a different in a, in a yeah. different. You know, and it's extraordinarily useful for everybody to just be like, okay, we're just going to, this is how you learn it. If you like certain things, you dive in yeah. and you start figuring them out by ear and you do it that way. Um, you know, it's like, I'll go ahead. I, will, yeah. I will put one little thing on that. One little thing. And this doesn't, clearly doesn't apply across the board, but it's something that I noticed. And now granted, this is anecdotal because it was only like one particular student of mine who was a phenomenal student. So I'm not knocking his <laughs> playing. Honestly, like I'm not knocking his playing at all. Like he would, he's, he was fantastic. I wish he could, would have stayed with it because he's one of those guys that I would like force to go like, you need to get a master's degree in this. You yeah. have it. You, you got it. You got the discipline and, and the ability. Keep going. Um, so, and he uh, wanted to do the uh, Sakura variations. Uh, I forget the um composer right now but it was this, this uh oriental piece that uh, john williams played and he saw john williams play it and he wanted to learn to do it and it it was it's got like five variations to it it very accessible piece like it's not super hard yeah. and it, 
so I was like, sure, let's dive into it. Get the music. Like, get the actual score, no tabs. <laughs> like, that's the one thing I could, uh, no yeah. tabs, just the actual score. Um, and so he, he did. He got the music, and he, he sat down, and he learned it. And the first time, the first couple of weeks he was playing it, I was like, are you doing this by ear? Like, are you just watching John William and then kind of, like, imitating it? And he's like, yes. And I'm like, okay, I can tell you how you can tell. The first way I can tell is that you have no idea where you are in terms of timing. Like, none. Like, the pulse was kind of there, but he wasn't owning the pulse. It was clearly imitative. Yeah, It's it's just something that I, I could detect with this. It was just like, the, you don't know where you are on the beat. You're playing the notes fine and right. everything else, but you're not in the pocket. You're not on top of on this particular beat and that's what i'm going to do with it it's more like this is what happens next so i'm just going to play it um and that was one of the things that i observed with and he was like yeah that's kind of what i've been doing i'm like good stop hitting the play button start getting into the score with the metronome <laughs> and work out so you know where it's at because there's a couple of gestures yeah. in there, you know where it goes by really quick uh and it's just like you know i can't even do it on this thing but uh, like some 30 second note grouping that was there. And I'm like, you're not doing the 30 second notes. Like I can tell you're, you're just tr playing fast and hoping that you kind of like get all the notes out there, but not knowing that it's like, it's three eighth notes worth of 30 second notes for that particular gesture. It right. switches every other eighth note and that's where you have to do it. And there is this lack of clarity with it. So, you know, it's interesting that is it's funny. Cause I've always noticed the opposite is that the people that, they get stuck in the score, like I have no sense of time. Oh yeah, no, it can go both ways. No, Where like the people time. that I know, because I know, I mean, like on guitar, right? It's it's pretty normalized, especially in the rock world. No one reads music. Mm -hmm. I mean, they, a lot of them can't even read tab. But a lot of people learn stuff by ear, and usually those people have like the best pocket. But if yep. you tell them to play a G chord, they're like. Mm, I don't know what that is, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and you're like, but you just played a Mashuga riff, you know. And you were like playing it for real. And they're like, yeah, but I don't know what a G chord is. She's like, okay, well I can work with this because at least you have a good sense of time because because they're so used to like listening and being in like the space with it. But I could see what you're saying. Like if you just like figured out some line because you like heard it by ear and then whatever the mechanism was to figure out how to play that, he compartmentalized it in a way that it was like, all right, play that thing, now back into the groove. Yeah, it, and yeah. that was what was going on. There wasn't an underlying sense of pulse. You know, it's like, this is, it's, it's quick, but it's not like quick for the sake of quick. It's serving, it's, it's literally written out. There's an intention yeah. behind it. And he's using this as a offense. Uh, he was, it was basically an effect of a pika, the, the, uh, Chinese instrument or whichever that uh, I don't know how many strings it is, but yeah, uh, they do like that, that quasi tremolo thing on it, and that's what this guy was putting onto the guitar. <laughs> and I'm like, well, you're kind of getting it, but it's definitely intentional. How many notes are there? It's not just oh my god, here we go, fast, and then I'm out. It's like no, yeah, there, right. there's a limit to that. And so I th that's a, I mean, it's interesting though because we both came up to the same. Uh, issue in terms of timing from two different angles like i was like this guy's just imitating what he's hearing and he doesn't have an underlying sense of pulse and you're like well there's other people that are completely in the score and have a, no sense of pulse so yeah. and that both of those things are absolutely correct they're yeah, not right 
No, no, no. I agree with that. Yeah, uh, I think we, I think we might have talked about it a little bit last week, if I'm remembering right. But one of the issues, issues of today's players, is that we sort of talked about how they all kind of sound the same, and a lot of that is because it's so easy to get the right information, where you know, or you just how do I play this song? Well, here's the, exactly the way that Richie Blackmore played it or whatever. And watch me and I'll show you how to do it. And then you can watch that and you can learn exactly how Richie Blackmore did it. But if you were at home, just with a tape player, you'd probably come up with your own little way of doing it that was probably on the wrong strings, you know, or whatever. And like, Maybe he tuned in D and you were still in E and but you so you did it in a different location or you know whatever whatever the little uh, idiosyncrasies were you got the general vibe of it but you did it a different way which sort of became your thing like it became one of your little staples that made you sound unique because it wasn't quite right it wasn't exactly right but it was sort of right yeah um so it's, yeah. It's, yeah it's kind of interesting I think I wanna, I, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. I, I'm, I don't have anything necessarily to, to, to pin on exactly what you're saying now, but one of the things that I just wanted to kind of focus on for a second was that what do you think is that underlying problem of somebody that's learning it by ear and watching it and imitating it and not getting the pulse and the guy is coming at it from just the score and having no sense of the time with that? Like there's, there's clearly an issue with the timing thing that spans both approaches. What do you think that potential issue is? And how, I, I can tell you how I solved it with this kid that was doing the imitative thing. But before I do that, I wanna hear your thoughts on it. Not to, I don't wanna poison the well, so to speak. Yeah, uh, no, no, it's, uh, I'm gonna to try to separate um, groove-based music and classical music. Because I, I think there's a difference. I would argue no, but all right, oh, let's do that. I, I'm gonna, well, because, well, maybe it's more like a folk versus, I don't want to, I don't, I don't really like the term folk tends to get like a negative connotation, like it's simple, but when you're, when you're playing in bands or playing with other people in group settings and there's a drummer in particular, that's a skill set that like that you grow up in that um you know like if my kids if when my kids were playing if they play with me ever we're like sitting around just jamming you know and they can get a sense of the pulse and if all they can do is they can't play any notes but all they can do is go yep like the victor wooten starting thing you know if all they can do is that or just You know, they start to get like a, a sense of, you know, of things, right? Um, so, like, it's almost like the, I'm going to say groove-based music, like, it's it's like that's that's the entryway into blues and rock and jazz and all these kind of things. Like, that's, that's that, or at least that should be the way you enter those things, is coming from that space. I say should, should's kind of a weird word, but... That, yeah, no, I get it. Um, where often in classical music, that's not where it starts. And it's certainly not where teachers start most of the time, because especially like beginner, early teachers. And some of that has to do with 
the fact that those teachers don't have very good sense of time as it is. Um, <laughs> or they just never, it was never something they were taught because I don't, it's like somewhere that like, like I don't believe that Mozart started with his dad just going, Hey, one, two, three, four, one, two. Like, you know, like that's, do it yeah one two like my kids know all about two and four <laughs> you know if they know nothing not much else they know about two and four right only on two and four don't um, make you, but it's but it's not because i i'm like a hardcore believer like it has to be on two and four but just so they can start to think about it like to start to think okay well why does this sound this way like it's, a lot of it has to do with those kind of like where's the accent and those kind of things and and not always just thinking like it gets them, to, I can I can see that it gets them like in a different thinking space than just saying, "Let's count one, two, three, four, one, two. Like they they lose something when they do that. But when I say one, two, three, four, one, two, you know they they get okay. I can they can kind of like, oh, there's a little groove in that. Like they can kind of feel it. You know, um, it's an interesting thing to witness. All that aside, back to your question. Um. And we can, you know, we can get back to whether these are different yeah. or not. Um, yeah. I think a yeah. lot of times, what happens in classical music, in, is the notes come first, the harmony and the melody comes first. And, and really, I mean, let's just say European music. It sort of started in dance, but at some point, it, it, it you know, when we think of classical music, it doesn't necessarily correlate with dance. Um, and so when people were learning classical guitar pieces, we'll just, we'll really try to hone in on, I'm going to try to bring it in is, uh, they look at the score and they don't think, Oh, this is a bossa nova. So well, what's a bossa nova sound like? What's the groove they're thinking? Oh, the first chord is a G a D, <laughs> you know, whatever, um, whatever the thing is that they're, they're like, they're honing right into the notes and forgetting that it's a groove like and it takes a good teacher or whatever to to be like yo <laughs> yeah no <laughs> like, I, I hey what did you i know you, you played the notes but like you did not play the song you know like we're, let's start from beginning you're not for the next week i don't want you to play any notes at all all you're gonna do is listen to bossa novas and you're gonna mimic it for the next week and I don't give a crap anything else you're not doing anything don't you dare play a scale don't you do any of this like go yep. learn what this is because this will serve you for the rest of your life and then we'll come back to the song where you know what this feels like and and, and part of the problem there is so many classical pieces um, don't even tell you that right they don't even tell you like what groove it's supposed to be or or whatever so and then it's like okay well even if you play like to the metronome you're probably not playing it right exactly <laughs> so yep. that, there's that whole like little aspect so mm -hmm. then that's why i was saying um i could totally see what you were getting at though where it's easy to sort of like learn a line or not i say easy it's not easy it takes a lot of skill to learn a line off a record that's complicated or to learn you know no one does that like day one. It's going to take you years of practicing, like figuring out, oh, wait, was that a G or an F or whatever? You know, like you're kind of like trying to figure it out. So I, I could imagine if the, most of the song was kind of easy, you know, and then all of a sudden there's this crazy line. 
that you had to come up with some like mechanical way of dealing with it. Um, and it, I think this happens in the score too. We're yeah. like, hey, everything's cool. Oh crap! <laughs> this one's <laughs> like, I gotta do this thing, and yeah. then I gotta do this thing, and then like, how the heck am I gonna do that? So you start just practicing doing this a million times, and then now when you get into the song, when that happens, it's like, okay, everything's grooving, and then oh, that's right, I gotta do this thing. <laughs> you know, you, you like compartmentalize it and switch to some other gear. To deal with it but i i guess at the same time it's like well I, that's not a big deal as long as you know that that happens like you gotta say all right at some point i gotta turn this thing to like sit in the pocket with the rest of the the piece because right now it just i'm kind of hitting it but uh you know i can do it but i don't fit so i, I gotta figure out how to to keep that feel the whole time. And and that's tricky. I mean, that's not that's not a trivial thing to do depending on how hard the that part is or whatever. So I oh, yeah. <laughs> You know, it's I I'll I'm going to let you talk in a second. Yeah. Is a yeah. uh, Kurt Rosenwinkel has a, a hypothesis on all this which is he and he's really thought about you could tell he really thought about it. Um, you know, like how do you get good time? And he he believes or at least this thing I read, and I'm hopefully I'm not totally misspeaking for him, is it's technique that is the reason people have bad time. It's um, how so? Because it's it's like that moment where you're going, okay, everything's fine. Oh, now I got to do this hard thing, and now mm -hmm. your timing gets all off because your technique's not good enough to keep up. So. Mm -hmm. What okay. he does with his students is he's like really works hard on technique so that techniques, never the burden never gets in the way of good timing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and even like, he's like the reason you're not on the metronome is because your time, you know, like your techniques, not good enough. You can mm -hmm. either slow it down or whatever. Or you need to like figure out how to go faster because as soon as it gets to a certain tempo, the reason that you're not in it is because you, um, your techniques falling apart yeah totally i, th I think it's kind of interesting to think about you know well, it's okay, like i'll a, let you go <laughs> no 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 no. you're fine um th that sounds like uh what i often will comment on students with some stuff i'm like well you got the notes but it was like falling down the stairs and landing on your feet there's clearly better ways to get down the stairs that are a little bit less conducive to injury and more pleasant at the end. Yeah, but right. you made it. Like, you got the notes and you hit the end. And, Why and, are you and, talking about me like that, Adam? Come on. <laughs> That's everybody, including myself. But it's 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 one of my favorite analogies, my my atomisms or whatever when I'm teaching. So I get the uh, I get what. I agree with what Kurt's saying. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's whatever will trip you up, you will encounter. It's as simple right. as that. Like yeah, if you're you, think, you think in, you, in uh, improv too, right? It's like if you're being a good improviser, you're trying stuff that you don't, that you haven't worked out necessarily. Yep. Because like, you're like, oh, I wonder what that sound like, you know? Or I have an idea. I think that it, I want it to sound like this. Mm -hmm. And you're like, but I've never really tried it before. You have to have the guts to just do it anyway. That's yep. part of the magic of it. Um, but and it's okay if it's a little sloppy too, in a way. Like that's, 
but it, that's the sloppiness is really not the reason your timing gets weird like that's okay in a sense <laughs> so it's like there's a little bit of whatever but like the better the more technique you have the more likely you're not going to get like tripped up on a finger or something and all of a sudden you're behind the bead or and then you're <laughs> trying to catch back up so now you're ahead of the bead and like it doesn't get all weird and that i think like with the improvisational aspect of it is that the more that you are technically able to execute things proficiently the less chance of you having to it, it, you'll jump over the hurdles without even noticing it nice. like it's it won't even occur but if you're particularly weak in some aspects and that happens to be what you're going for subconsciously in, a, in the middle of a line or whatever all of a sudden that'll become blatantly apparent because your hand hands well in this case hands uh will be like yeah no dude um we can't really do that to the right. level that want to right now and you get exposed i think in one sense classical pushes you harder on those aspects because you don't get the choice like you get the the improvisational and i'm not saying everybody does this improvising but clearly it's advantageous to play to your strengths when you're doing some things in classical music uh to an extent if you're picking certain pieces you're either going to have the technique for those pieces or you're not you know it's like you have to work up to certain i remember this is a bogdanovich a jazz sonatina I was working on. And I got the first and the third movements set and playable. And I worked on the second for a while. But the third movement had this one leap with the pinky that was just, it wasn't far, but it was just so unbelievably weird with the chord that you were doing. Yeah. It was, and there was no other solution. Like I took it to my teacher and I was like, Steve, I, am I reading this wrong? Like, how the hell? There's got to be an easier solution to this. Because, right. like, you know, the piece is hard, but then it just spikes for one freaking note and then just drops down back to where it was. And it's like, yeah, there's just no other way to do it. Like, you have to play it in that position. That's the only way sure. to get to the and keep the voice leading going and everything else. Um, not the, particularly the voice leading, but keep the, the idea that he was doing. And it was heavily groove-based music. You know, sure. it's... A, it's Dusan and it's fast and aggressive. That's why I love it. Um, and then, uh, so you had this hurdle that you had to make sure that you, you, like all I did was practice that spot for hours. Like one one little blip that if you sneeze, right. miss it in the performance, but it was just, that was the linchpin. That was the crux of the piece in order to get it going. So when I'm teaching students on, on technical things, I'm like, listen, your goal is to take the valleys and the mountains and smooth everything out. Like sure. there should be nothing where you hit it and you start to slow down because it's too hard. And you don't want everything that's easy to just, you're just gonna speed up and put the gas on through that. It, it, it has to be even. Um, and so I'm, I'm a real technique fiend when I get somebody yeah. that's strict classical. It's like, okay, we are doing, here's studies, here's exercises, here's this. We gotta keep your hands loose in order to be able to execute things. Otherwise you're not gonna be able to play. So I think that Kurt's absolutely right in the uh, technical uh, technique aspect being the hurdle for timing because that is the one thing where if you can't do it you're going to trip that's yeah. just it um yeah it's, it's interesting to think about i mean obviously we know like metronome and these kind of things are important um and uh, really important yes and, and so i there, think there's another aspect to that but it's a very valid point that <laughs> your hands can easily get in the way of good timing but that's the other thing too is i think the reason why some score based things are so metronomic in terms of playing 
you know, like the, it's less groove, more this is when it comes in. And this is a thing. This is the thing that I caution students with as well. I'm like, you don't. It, okay, so it says like quarter note at eighty, or whatever. Let's just take that. That's great. You get the quarter note going at eighty. You're playing it at eighty beats a minute, but you're slapping me in the face on every single downbeat. Like every single beat that comes in with the metronome is like, you know, there it is. I clearly practiced with the metronome yeah. all the time, which isn't a fault, but I often will encourage them. I'm like, all right, if you can handle it at tempo, just, it just, just obviously for an example, at 80, why not try playing it with the metronome set to 40? So you don't hear every downbeat. You hear every other downbeat. You get a bigger sense of the oh, pulse. Yeah, sure that you know getting it down to 20 would be like that that's pretty much impossible yeah. it's way low but uh or maybe not it, it's a goal worth shooting for it I, I think i read a paper where they said like 30 beats a minute is like the we, slowest you can that, that forum that brandon and i met on we had a suit there was like a pseudo competition kind of thingy once I don't even know. It might have been made up, but it was like <laughs> the slowest metronome usage, you know. And it's like, <laughs> oh, oh Jimmy got to thirty-four beats per minute. <laughs> you know, like, all right, here comes the ringer. He's going for thirty-one beats per minute. You know, whatever it was, it's like surprisingly it's like gets so a, hard. Yeah, right. It, it gets real. It's like you figure it's slow down. It's like no. And there was like, some jazz guy too. I remember. I don't know if it was Mike Moreno or some. It was somebody like that. It's like. He liked to set it at like the lowest it would go, which was like it was either like thirty three or it was like twenty four or something, just to see and practice like for ten minutes a day, how close could you get to that like mm -hmm. can you can you internalize whatever that thing is and, and be on the metronome, which it's really yep. tricky. It, it, it and it's a great exercise. And this yeah. kind of like piggybacks on to Benjamin Zander, the conductor of the Boston Philharmonic. Uh, he gave a speech, a, a TED talk. You can look it up online. It's like the transformative power of uh, classical music. But he starts it out by playing. Um, oh God, I'm gonna, I'm drawing a blank on the piece. Well, regardless, he starts out by playing the piece, and he's just like, every note is like hammeringly loud. Da 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 da. You know, like really, really loud. And then he's yeah. like, that, that's your first, that's your beginner. And then he's like, here's after one year. Here's after two years. Here's after three years. Oh, that's after cool. Four years, and he's like, you know, after six years, after seven, and then after eight years, and and he's like, it's seven. You can tell that they're getting just about like to the the musicality is finally coming all together. He's like, and that's when they quit. And he's like, <laughs> but they just would have stuck with it for one more year, you know, dum da 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 da, you know, and he plays it like beautifully. He's like, they get the uh, underlying sense of time and pulse and phrasing and all the musicality comes out. And I think that's exactly what might be lacking in the metronome instruction is that there's a, a tendency to get too reliant on the absolute beat rather than the longer ones. Yeah. And that's why I always oh, will like, let's not as much if I'm doing technical exercises of running scales, then I have the metronome all set at an even click, 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 you know, same volume, yeah. same time. Yeah. That. If I'm doing something with music though, I'll be uh, setting that so it's a click, 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 you know, sure. giving the accents. And th that really helps with students that are having an overcommitment to the downbeats because of the metronome. Sure. You know, it's, and then that, uh, what's that app, that we, Time Guru app, which is phenomenal. And I wish they had a plugin for a DAW for it. It would be amazing. Uh, shameless plug for, please, please make that happen. Uh, <laughs> the, um, that, uh, 
that uh, random off. What the hell is it? thing called where it'll take the notes right it is a metronome and it basically randomly takes away some of the beats yeah so you don't hear them which is great and you can turn that up and down it's like a gradually uh uh, turn it off so you could be like 80 percent of the time it won't play a beat or 30 percent of the time it won't play a particular beat it's absolutely phenomenal tool i'm just like it it, i keep it go go buy this app it's two dollars go buy the app buy this app amazing it's absolutely worth the money and uh, things like that can start to establish a deeper sense of pulse and internalization of the beat, you know, uh, which also it com- it flowers, spring illusion, whatever. Uh, <laughs> it, it comes out when you drop into a groove. Even with classical, there should be a groove with it. I mean, yeah. if you're playing Bach and you're static with it, you're not playing the dance movements. And you know, it's, it's like I'm sitting here now after a decade of classical training and playing, and it's like I look back at my previous performances, like holy cow, I played like I had a stick up my butt the whole time. <laughs> you know, it's like well, it, it, I was so concerned about the notes. You know, it's yeah, like, sure. no, oh my god. And then now it's like the, and I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but my technique is, has uh, progressed to a point where it's like, all right, now I can just play the music. Sure. And that, uh, and that's kind of the point with that. So I think ultimately. Like from both sides of the fence, whether it's the score related thing and no groove or listening to it and imitating it, the underlying thing that both of those things are missing is internalization of the pulse. Yes, I think I think so. I think like like that's the that the it, both of them are missing that particular thing. I guess that, it depends too, like if the so the person who's listening and learning no matter how good you are with a metronome. <laughs> you're never going to get Coltrane's time in his time feel from a metronome. There's not. Yeah. It's just not going to so happen. You have to play along with him. You have to learn to mimic that feel. And uh, there's, there's no book or anything you could ever read <laughs> that will ever tell you how to do it. You just have to listen and learn. So there's, there's that aspect of it. So it's like, in one sense, that pulse you're talking about, um, you can only learn from listening. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, it's kind of a funny thing. I don't know. Well, I look at it like uh, in order to get to that spot, and this is the other thing, is that you have to be able to get the crap kicked out of you. Certain, like, certainly. You you have to, like the Captain America, I can do this all day type oh, of thing when he right. before you know it's like you know and that's that's the point is like you the first times you start to do anything like this you're just going to get demolished like there is some ability there is some gradient of natural sense of time that's that's clearly there but everybody needs a metronome and a backing band to kick their butt into the right thing sure actually like that's just the way that it is um and then you can go into things like listening to the Coltrane and, or for your example. Yeah, you, need, you at least need some foundation to know that that's a triplet. And these are kind of, you know, like you need those sort of foundational, maybe you have a different word for it if you came up with your own language, but you need to like some, at some point compartmentalize all those things so that you can actually use those words, those rhythm, rhythmic words as mm-hmm. real things, right? Yep. Um, well, it's- well, the, it, um, it reminds me kind of what Jack Chance taught me when I was taking some of the jazz stuff from him. He's like, first you learn the head stuff, 
then you practice the physical stuff and then you let your ears and your heart take over when you're actually doing the soloing. Yeah. Like it, you have to drill it so that, and you know, from all that evolutionary psych stuff that I've been reading, it's like, that's literally how we process stuff. Like when it, we're yeah. first encountering everything in the front's lit up, you know, as we're, we're gathering new information. And then as we drill it, it starts, the brain signature quote unquote starts to shrink and it doesn't occupy as much as our, our, of uh, our frontal cortex. And it gets smaller and smaller. And then it just moves further back in the brain and it's compartmentalized and it's back right. there. And, okay. So I can pull that out just like that. Um, when I need to. So I think that's something that needs to happen with uh, pulse and that requires practice and it can't be separate from learning things by ear or from the skull score. It's got to be something that you do through. And I think the technical exercises really help with that. Like it, they really do. Oh, certainly. Well, yeah. Kind of like they're, you'll, they're like you'll, time savers in a way like you. Yeah. It's like a yeah. good teacher can save you like three years because they show you something you're like oh if i would have figured that on my own that would have taken me forever yeah exactly, exactly. Um, that's also why I, I sign up for the occasional lesson from like different teachers sure. just to just to kick my own butt you same, know like yeah same deal i haven't, I haven't mastered as much as i'm in a teaching position at, at a collegiate level and whatever the heck that's worth um the fundamental thing is like i'm not that cocky most of the time <laughs> that I can't learn from somebody else, like regardless of what they're doing. Like I'm always picking out new information be like, Oh, it's a good idea. You know, it's like, yeah, and, sure. and it, um, with that, you don't want to limit yourself, uh, to yourself. You, you gotta be, uh, humble enough in the, the right way of like knowing where your ability is, knowing what you can pull off and knowing where you want to go and then picking the person that can get you there and, and doing it. Back to my yeah. boy, Coy, Col, uh, Coltrane is, um, so 1960 or so, he was already a big name at this point in the jazz world and, um, Giant Steps was basically coming out and all these kind of things. So he was becoming like a, a person. He brought, um, Eric Dolphy into his band and Eric's unbelievable. If you're not familiar with Eric Dolphy, he's like crazy good, um, musician played saxophone, played bass clarinet, played flute, and like just mind-blowingly good at all of them. Very, like they now like classical saxophone pieces, they take transcribed Eric Dolphy solos. Like that's part of like the repertoire. That's like, nice. that's like canon now for the you know, classical saxophone. Um, anyway, I'm sure he was a fan of Eric. But Eric, Eric's take on it, and Eric died very young. Eric died before Coltrane, and he was younger than Coltrane. Hmm. Um, so he was just total monster. But uh, Eric's was like, yeah, Coltrane just like asked me questions all the day, <laughs> like all day. Coltrane's is so Coltrane's already like he's been in Miles Davis's band. He's a big name. He's like the greatest tenor sax player alive. Blah blah blah. Like that's his reputation. And here he brought this guy in his band because he perceived what Eric was doing and he didn't know how to do any of it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so he just, mm -hmm. the most popular band maybe in jazz brings this guy in and says, Hey, uh, be in my band so I can pick your brain for the next two years, you know? <laughs> and he did like, you'd be like, man, how do you do this? Like, show me this thing. Show me that thing. Show me. So here's the greatest, you know, whatever. Um, saying, hey, I'm not, I'm not the greatest. I'm going to bring somebody who I think's got stuff that I don't have. You know, well, and you hear about that, like, there's those stories, like, all the time, like, bringing those kind of people in their, their groups, 
of great musicians or, or whatever, even if they're not getting lessons, like they're sort of getting, they're like paying for lessons by putting people in their groups. Yeah. Well, I just said like, anytime you play with other people, like if you're curious about what you're doing, you're always learning. I mean, they say, they say, especially in jazz, like be the worst person in the band. (laughs) You want to be the worst person because then you actually learn some stuff. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And that's the, that's the great thing about it. I mean, at least that I think at the level where we're at in terms of intensity of learning, that's something that'll never go away. It's like sure. we're all like, oh, look at that over there. That, that guy did this. I'm totally going to take that. You know, I, I'm stealing that lick or I'm stealing that yeah. idea. And that's just what you do. It's a, you have to get your catalog so diverse, and it's also like it provides a continual sense of challenge for me. Like I, I love yeah. the sense of maybe that's why sure. I'm more. Not that improvising isn't challenging, but you know, it's like I want to be able to scale that mountain or whatever. You know, it's, it's, don't don't shake your head at me. <laughs> so the uh, you know, it's so easy. It's all written out for you. Gosh, anybody <laughs> could do that. Like a computer could do that. <laughs> there it is. Shots fired. <laughs> <laughs> but no, in all seriousness, it's um, it's like this uh, constant influx of information from other players, which is so great because you can take it. And just run with it and do th- your own thing with it. I mean, that's that's the point. You know, it's just yeah. like I'm gonna learn these things and then put my own. I remember reading an interview with Satch where he was talking about getting lessons from a jazz guy. You know, this was after like you know his eighth album or something like that, just to kind of keep opening up more of those doors of his own right. playing. And uh, it'd be fascinating to see it just for my own uh, curiosity to see like that lesson to see somebody as like a jazz great be teaching Joe Satriani his particular things. And, uh, that would, you know, uh, Alex Skolnick. Yeah. Yep. You know, he He, went to new school. Yeah. And then he's now a Testament and became a jazz, like into jazz stuff or whatever. And it's funny because all the people in the class were like, dude, how are you in my class? Like, (laughs) like, I thought you were like a big rock star, you know, or whatever. And he just wanted to learn I think that's pretty cool. Well, it's like the guys from Radiohead went back and got PhDs in music. Right. You know, they just wanted to learn more. So kudos to them. I think it's awesome because they're like, yeah, I can do this at Oxford and it's yeah, going right. to cost a lot, but whatever for me. <laughs> That's yeah, like right. yesterday's royalties or whatever. Well, um, like you were saying, like learning, for, like, so I did some Coltrane stuff and Billy Gibbons and uh, Tom Quayle and there was a Steve Morris thing that I kind of picked up. Like there was this um, chromatic sort of thing he does. Um then he kind of like moves it around or what kind of thing or whatever um that i kind of like picked up as and it was just like in a blurb i just like saw a thing and i was like oh oh okay so then he does this sort of thing and i'm sort of paraphrasing what he did anyway i'm kind of trying to go back to like but i was also listening to like bach and is it sadie how do you say s-a-t-i-e and I was like learning those pieces, like because it was on, and I was sitting listening to music, and I had the guitar near me, and I was like, "Oh, what is that?" Be-? You know, and I, so it was like I couldn't tell you what it was now, but it was like even that, like it's like, "Oh, that's the thing that they're doing," or WC or something's on, and it's not to me. It's not just about like it's it's like again, it's like learning a little bit about that person and like their little tendencies, like oh, that's that harmony. I, like I never really knew what that was. I kind of thought it was this minor thing with this like thing, but now I see it's actually like whatever you know, whatever it is, you know. 
and you kind of get these little nuggets of truth and it's fascinating it's just fun yeah um, and a lot of it doesn't like i like i can't tell you exactly what the sadie thing i learned was like a, but it'll come out on my i'll hear it come out on my plane like three months from now you know mm-hmm. like i'll do something and be like oh that was that thing like it's my brain's like just like processing it back in in the background yeah and then it comes out into your plane later um, and that, those are the kind of little things. That's why I do it. Like, it's like, oh, there's like some little bend or some little thing. And you kind of like your brain t- takes, at least me, it takes me forever. Like, I'm like slow and steady wins the race. Like, it takes my brain forever to like process this stuff. I'm not a quick study on that. I feel like I'm just relentless. And, uh, oh, and then, but it then eventually comes and it's like six months later, you're like, hey, when did that get into my plane? And you kind of forget like, well, six months earlier, I was listening to some Taylor Swift and she did this little thing <laughs> and I pulled that off of her, th- you know, you're like, Oh, okay. That's that. I mean, it could be anything. Like, that's why I think it's fun about it. Like it could... <clears throat> everybody offers something interesting to learn. Um, I don't know. At least, I, at least to me, I wanted to say, um, you, you were talking about the metronome time things and the, just time feel and all that stuff earlier. And it reminded me of a conversation that I was in earlier this week where um, there was a, there's an improviser, Cecil Alexander, really good guitar, uh, jazz guitar player. And he does this thing sometimes where he kind of like, he's, he's playing in time, but he's like sort of floating at the same time, if that makes sense. So there's, there's this, <laughs> it's one of those um, where people can feel like they're in time, but if you were to put a metric, you know, put it in a grid, you would say, well, that's done in time. You know, it's, it's off the grid, but why does it sound right? So in it, in it reminded me, so this person proposed the question who's also a fat, fabulous guitar player had posed the question, like, why well, does Cecil think of this? And it reminded me there's that. I always think about three different things when it comes to time feel. So here's a teaching opportunity, I guess, mm-hmm. but there's three and this particularly goes with jazz, I guess. But it could be for anything. I um, mean, there's, so there's sort of the the way that most people think about time feel is that sort of grid. Like, so let's say it's a 16th note pulse grid, and you basically have to be in line with anything within that pulse. But it's very regimented. It's very um um like stick to the lines. You know, don't don't veer off. You have snap to the grid. You know, snap to the grid sort of thing, right? And so you sort of take this much time and you divide it exactly equal and it's always the same for the next 10 minutes or whatever, however long the song is, it doesn't change. Um, so that's one aspect of thinking about time. But then there's another aspect and one of those is the distance between the notes. Mm-hmm. So imagine if you will, like, is your, if you had to, how good is your time? Like if you start a phrase, to maintain the same distance between the notes, regardless of anything else that's going on. So to try to highlight what I mean more specifically, say the drummer was playing at 97 beats per minute, but you started your line at 100 beats per minute because that's what the first two notes told you. Could you maintain the 100 beats per minute even if they were at 97 beats per minute? Like, did you, ignoring what the drummer did, your control over that distance between those notes is so mm. strong that it doesn't matter what anyone else is doing. Um, not saying this is 
this is not something you do on a gig because you're going to get fired. <laughs> but as in terms of a practice, it's about understanding that I started a line and I want it to hold this time for the next however long this phrase is. Um, and that's that's different that's different than the the grid thing because the grid thing is like the whole piece is fitting in this this nice neat package right and then this is well i'm interjecting a line on top of this other thing maybe or it doesn't exist but i'm going to be able to maintain whatever i started my pace at so it's almost like if you were talking and you were trying to keep staying in some kind of pulse when you're talking the whole time but not slowing down as you're talking to try to match what everyone else is doing or something like you're just gonna you're gonna hold your hold your path so to speak mm. so that's a sort of an interesting conceptually to think about mm. um, what, what would that mean like understanding can i play something and have like have that be the same um and then the third concept is and I'm, I'm ignoring like swing and all those things because swing could be applied to any of these which is um so there's harmonic time yeah so that's the time from the chord change to the next chord change so let's say you're going from a c major chord to an f major chord and then to a c major chord to an f major chord right mm -hmm. and in, it takes six or point six seven three sec milliseconds to go from the c major to the F major, then 0.67 milliseconds to go from that to, I'm picking a very specific time just to, to be specific. Um, so you always, so it's like, here's the chord change, here's the chord change, here's the chord change. And it's very specific, you know, it's, 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 it's on the grid, that part's on the grid. But in between that time, if you have your, you can play anything, as long as you make the change at the, exactly the right time when you're supposed to. So if that meant it was way out of time, but like you change the chord at the right time, it's going to work. Like there's a, there's like a weird psychological thing. So it's kind of like if you had your toddler sitting there uh, and you're, you're holding the chords down and they're going like, you know, and you change the chords to something else, <clears throat> you're maintaining, you, you might maintain the the like <clears throat> every four beats I'm changing this chord to something else yeah, whatever it is but if you could maintain this to be always right on you know the four the first beat of every four beats or whatever then what you play in that space in between you you're getting quiet again a, I probably hit this is that better Mm -mm. Interesting. It looks like it's good over here. Yeah, you suddenly got really quiet. No, you can't hear me. No, I can hear you, but you're quiet. Interesting. Any better? Nope. Better? <laughs> That's worse. <laughs> oh, awesome. Huh? It's showing up on my thing. I think. Maybe. Let me kill the fan. How about now? Uh, it's still quiet. Huh. I wonder what happened. I can't really tell. 
it happened right after you used the guitar. I don't think your guitar hit anything. Maybe it's just like a, a gain compensation thing. Any better now? Yes. Huh. I don't know what's going on with this mic. But anyway. I think it's probably the cable. I know this is a different cable than last time. I think. Anyway. Um, so yeah, and it, so that's the concept of like harmonic time. And uh, so it's kind of like, so as a test, you should try making something that's chordal so you can actually hear it. But see, like, what what kind of weird, like, almost like if you could have, like, a MIDI thing or something where it changes the chord, but then you put some random rhythm, like, and just, <laughs> just do it, but let the chords change when they're supposed to, you know, and mm -hmm. see what you get out of it. And what's interesting is if you do that, you'll hear the song, like, you're, like your brain will accept those rhythms, because the harmonic time's on the right pulse. So it's kind of an interesting, like, thought process. So I, I think, too, like, sometimes when players, even like Coltrane or um, Zappa and Steve Vai, maybe. Maybe Steve Vai is an exception. But, uh, and Holdsworth and stuff. When they do those things that are, like, 11 over 3, like... They probably, uh, I, for sure, I don't think Holdsworth worked that out. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, he didn't I, say, I, like, okay, dun, 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 you know. Like, I don't think he actually worked that out. But he felt it. He felt what 11 over 3 felt like. And because he hit the harmonic rhythm right, it sounds so good. Like, it sounds mm -hmm. right. Well, it's like when um, Steve is doing that whole machine gun thing for, uh, for the love of God, machine gunning it, you know. Yeah. It, it, like I was just looking at the score the other day because I'm still interested in doing some type of an arrangement of it. But um, I was looking at it and I'm just like, there is no way this guy does this the same way every single time. <laughs> right. You know, as it, precise as the written out thing is, you know, I'm just like, God, the ear on the guy that transcribed it. <laughs> but I think it was actually him that did it. Um, um, you know, and uh, it uh, it's uh, the transcription is absolutely precise. But I've seen probably a hundred different live versions, and they are never the same. No, sure. The rest is, but that isn't. And and I'm not clearly not, not knocking his playing with that, but I think that he's doing exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, there's like a, it's like a feel thing, and it, it still feels good. It probably feels good in all those live shows too. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's 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 like he's still nailing, and it's still fast and hard as hell to to pull off. Yeah. But um, you know, he's hitting those harmonic changes. Right on the side, right, right. boom, when it and it, so it sounds like it's cohesive, because you know, you, I was looking at it, it's like okay, sextuplet, septuplet, eighth notes, seventh, and I'm like, there, there's just no way he's right. like, I'm gonna do these, and it's no, I mean, he could, if he ever comes onto our podcast, he can sit down and correct me, <laughs> and he's like, no, exactly, that's exactly what I wanted to do. What, you, what was it, Zappa, when he brought Vi into his group? I, there was a joke. He was like, "This kid, because Vi transcribed all these solos yeah. or whatever," and he's like, "This kid's making me look like a genius, like because he's putting this like seven over three or whatever, you know, like all these polyrhythm yeah. things." And he's like, "My impression from what Frank was saying was like that's not the way he was thinking about it. He wasn't yeah. like trying to do that, but but he was feeling that thing. But he, but Vi like took it literally. It's it's almost like have you ever seen a blues solo?" transcribed and written out exactly for what it is like with the swing not like 
implied but actually written out because <laughs> oh, it'll, no. it'll be like seven over four but I'll, it was really like an eighth note sort of thing or something you know but like <laughs> but because it was like technically it really did start here if you yeah. were to be like really picky about it like if you wanted to if you wanted a computer to play it back in the timing the lineup they had to do these like funny things to make it right even stuff or something where it's like yeah. really five 30 second notes in the space of this. Yeah, game. right. It's like those kind of things. You're like, wow, this person is a genius. They know, look, it sounds so good. And I'm like, serious. Oops. What was that? <laughs> Siri caught me. <laughs> like, as soon as I said serious, the Siri thing clicked on. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. Oh, that was probably. <laughs> really? Like, I said Siri six times after that. Oh, that's why I said the H word, hey, and then the S uh, word, and then, then it, it picks it up like that. Okay. I'm like, how funny. the hell do you remember that? <laughs> that was weird. I'm like, what the hell? Uh, you can tell I don't have Apple stuff because I don't know what she sounds like. <laughs> uh, I almost, I never use her on my computer, my phone all the time. On the computer, it's like, never. Uh Anyways, so, yeah, so with that type of thing, the harmonic, the space for timing becomes much, much more lenient if you can grab the bigger groups. Yeah, with the it's, it's again, a conceptual sort of thing to experiment with and learn about. So it doesn't always, I, it's kind of one of those, like, well, does it always have to be in the grid? So that harmonic time could sh shift, maybe it's four beats, or maybe it's one beat, you know? So now if it's just one beat, and, I'm, and obviously it's all relative anyway, but let's say instead of being every three seconds now it's every half a second you could still get away with a lot in that half a second you know as long as you hit the important strong beats or whatever it's kind of when i teach my beginning improvising thing i'm like as long as you're landing on the notes of the chord when you're done it's not going to sound terrible <laughs> right. it's going to sound like you meant it you know and at that point if you're on stage smile sure. <laughs> make it look like you're damn right that's exactly where i wanted to go even though you were just kind of like ah, ah. well and if it's in the pocket no one will care at all like, yeah even if yep. it's totally wrong mm -hmm. um, did you ever hear that <laughs> pat Matheny lesson that goes around no oh man you gotta look it up on youtube um you can find it on youtube i know you um, basically, Pat Metheny does like this masterclass lesson or whatever, and this kid plays for him. And he sounds like you're sort of, let's, I'm going to say typical like college um, junior so or sophomore or whatever, guitar player, jazz guitar player. And uh, like Metheny like craps all over this kid's time, you know, and uh, it's pretty, it's like in one respect, like the, you know, the kid's plays okay but you can tell like next to pat like his time's really not that great pat mamathini is like really known for a great sense of time um and he's just talking about how you have to use the metronome and like no it's like triplets it's not really like 16th notes or whatever like and all these kind of things but uh there's a, there's a couple examples that pat gives and he's like man he's like if you're in the pocket like you can play anything and he kind of proves it. he's like look i'm just playing uh um he puts the metronome on and he plays this like chromatic scale and he's like if you if he's like if you're in the pocket it sounds like the hippest crap you've ever heard in your life like mm -hmm. it sounds so hip because you're there like you're in it and uh 
it's just it's kind of a it's pretty awesome little like 25 minute whatever thing to listen to but it's cool to hear like in one sense you're like pat's like probably overly harsh but that was when he was a little bit younger and more like vocal about those things i think um and he's just like yeah man your time's just not happening he's like forget all the harmonic stuff like uh, like you don't have any you're not ready for that like you need to get this time thing going like like it doesn't matter all that other hip stuff that you think you're playing or the right notes none of that none of that matters like get the time get the time sorted yeah, no, and that's uh, when I was uh, Adam Rogers at uh, university. I, well, were you were you in that master class? I went to it. I wasn't in school anymore at that point. Uh, but yeah, he gave a master class, and I played in it. You know, because oh, you know, I didn't go to the classical one. I went to the jazz one. Okay, okay. So this is what happened in the classical one. Uh, I played, and another guy played, and uh, you know. It, it, I got lucky in the sense that he loved the BW998 is like one of his favorite pieces. And yeah. I played that. So it worked out really well. It was like, hey, hey, all right, let's dive into it and talk about, you know, uh, different things. I don't remember a whole lot of what he said regarding my performance in, in, in that. I mean, I'm pretty sure it was genius, but it was a while ago. <laughs> but the thing that does stick out about I couldn't remember it because he was like, he crapped on it so bad. No. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think I went home and cried myself to sleep. Yeah. Um, but the other guy that played, played... Um, I think it was Danza Brasileira. One of the Jorge um, uh, Morel's uh, pieces. I'm pretty sure. Either way, it was a bossa nova groove. And they got, the, like, technically, the kid was phenomenal, like, right. as a player. But he had absolutely no sense of groove. Like, none. None. What's, it was dry mm -hmm. as dry could freaking breathe. And he was from brazil oh i'm kind of pseudo identifying him you know this with the 17 people that were in the class or whatever either way he was from that area yeah. and one of the things that <laughs> one of the things that adam said to him that caused like a lot of people to be like oh no was uh he's like you know if you were from brazil you'd understand what the rhythm is so we're all like no he didn't he did oh snap because that was one of the things that we like that uh the professor at the time was always harping on him about, he's like, you can get all the notes, but you ain't got no groove. Like right. every single time it's like, you can play this incredibly technical music, but you have no groove. And then that, uh, that happened with Adam Rogers. And it was like, Oh snap. <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, that changes. Did, the he, did he ever sort it out? Um, from what I have heard from other players. Yes. Once he okay. went to his doctorate, somebody kicked his butt and got it in, which is great because he was a phenomenal player. So that was the only thing that was kind of like lacking in one sense. It was like rhythmically, it, he was precise, but it was like you could just turn on a MIDI file and get the same results. Yeah, I so, think like the, that's the thing with the metronome too is like you can't just play it. Like So there's, a, there's like a lot of phases to it. Um, first, there's the phase of you got to learn – how to like if you were clapping with it that you basically can't hear the metronome because you're so dead on that the metronome disappears right so like that's you have to learn how to like find the center of it and always have it so that's one aspect but that's that's just one of it <laughs> then you got to learn once you you feel like you're comfortable understanding that you got to learn well how do i go a little bit before but always consistently the same distance before. And then how do I go a little bit after the click? 
and always consistently after. And then how do I, then you have like, then it's like, okay, well, you could do that now. Now go after the first beat, but right on the second beat. And then after the first, you know, right on the second. So there's these little like intricacies you have to learn because the groove, like you said, like if you, if you put a computer on, it doesn't sound right. Like the computer is perfect. It's way more perfect than any of us will ever be. <laughs> but it doesn't groove. Why doesn't it groove? Because it it's about those little intricacies and feeling like because you want to like sometimes you have to like be behind the beat to get that little pulse thing happening yeah and uh you don't get it otherwise and then not every beat not every note that you play has the same rules applied to it so one might be slightly before and the other ones are right on or slightly ahead and that's how you get these like this like sort of like shifting like feel like it kind of like this little warble thing that happens, um, which is all very fast. It's a really fascinating thing to think about. Um, anyway. Yeah, it's so like you kind of you have to kind of work those things up, and it just takes time. Oh yeah, I remember a buddy of mine uh, was friends with Pink Strummer, and uh, he also did stuff with STP or not Stone Temple Pilots. What was it after Stone Temple Pilots? Velvet Revolver. Was that it? Oh yeah, right. Uh, something something where he was playing with Scott Weiland. Mm -hmm. uh, and one of the things that he said, he's like, he, he always had a metronome going in his ear. Like, all the time. Phenomenal drummer, constant metronome. No matter what it was going on. And he's like, you know, the, he he shared a story about how Scott was like, yeah, can you, you, you mind speeding things up with this song? Like, you wanted it faster. He's like, I didn't speed it up. I just put the, I played ahead of the beat. That's it. He's like, I literally would just land in front of the beat just a little bit. And all of a sudden, he's like, yeah, that's exactly what I'm going for. And then, boom. You know, it, it, I don't think Scott was a bad musician, you know, in, in that right. sense of he didn't know the difference. Um, I think it would be able to tell. Uh, no, he just used different words probably to mean yeah. something, you know. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, either way, but that it just uh, I'm just kind of piggybacking on your point of the if you you can do slight adjustments with the the, the pulse is there as a like the 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 pillars, but you can play, you don't have to always be on it. You right. can play it around with it. And that creates the illusion of moving ahead and pulling back, even though you're not doing it. I, I was just teaching that with the, uh, you know, it's La Grama, which is like one of the quintessential super classical piece that everybody wants to play. And there's a quick little run of straight eighth notes that most people play totally straight. And he's like, I really just want to speed up there. And I'm like, tell me on it. I'm like, if you want yeah. to do that and play that faster, show me that it can still relate to everything else that's going on rhythmically. And I don't care if you take it faster, but sell me on the point. Like, don't sure. just like play it quick so all of a sudden I have this disjointed partial scale run and then it's back to the normal pulse. You know, I'm like, start thinking of it this way rather than thinking of it as like straight eighth notes with that particular passage. What about looking at it like you have a two dotted half notes? True. And as long as you're coming on the next dotted half note at the right time, it's going to sound like you're selling it. But if you land on it early or you land on it a little bit late, all of a sudden you're going to lose that underlying pulse that's happening. And it doesn't sound like you did it intentionally. It sounds like you just put your foot to the metal and hope that you got there. Right. 
So, and that's like, it's a great exercise to do stuff like that. And again, it's back to the metronome and getting bigger and bigger pulses. You know, uh, I often will say like, if I'm learning something new that's technically demanding, the first thing that I'll do is go through with the metronome at 40 beats a minute to the smallest note division that's on the page. So it's the 16th note. So it's, it's like an hour long to play like a, a four minute piece or whatever. Yeah. Um, but that it really allows me to one, get a good grip on where everything's at. And I'm hearing the rhythmic aspects of it with that, you know, and then I slowly start speeding that up till I get to 100 beats a minute, then I drop it down to 50 and do it as an eighth note and then work that up to yeah, 100. Sure. Down to it. And that's a good practice for sure. And it, I mean, it takes forever. Um, but let me tell you, if I need to learn a piece like that, that's exactly right. what I yeah, do. You just you slowed it down enough that it lets you learn, which is great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. And then, it, but again, once I get to a certain pulse with that at the quarter note, I start to get even bigger. Like if I can get to a half note or somewhat of a even division of the beat and slowing it down, I'll do that in order to keep the, the bigger sense of time and yeah. the, the phrasing with that. It, it makes phrases come alive. You know, it's- Oh yeah, it's, definitely. I know, well, I was gonna say, there's two points I was thinking of. Um, I'll start with the one with uh, Joe Lovano. Do you know Joe Lovano? Yeah. Uh, he's like a legend sax player. He's actually from Cleveland. Um, still alive anyway there's this cool master class where he's talking about where he clicks his foot you know he's, he's a jazz so he's like sometimes he's like i'll i'll be like right on the beat and he's like i phrase a certain way when i have that pulse and then sometimes i'll just play on the two and then sometimes i just play on the three you know and then sometimes i'll play on i'll play whole notes and then maybe there'll be two whole notes but it's all the same groove is going on underneath. But now he's he's changing the pulse for himself as an improviser to say, okay, well now now that's a one, yeah, you know that that's the that's the pulse he's on now, and it and it makes him phrase differently. Yeah, and he was kind of demonstrating how it, it changes phrasing, and it's like it's good to sort of play with that, you know. So sometimes you do one kind of okay, here's the pulse. Or maybe here's the pulse, you know, or one, or maybe the pulse is here. Like, so what does that do to your phrasing? And it, it makes you more interesting to listen to by switch, switching it up. Um, and then an, another one I was thinking of earlier was, yeah, some people make their identity where they land on the, the metronome too. Like Tony Williams is and and Elvin Jones are two of the biggest names in jazz drumming ever. Um, Tony is like, notoriously in front of the beat and there's just like this energy that comes with it um and it's awesome like it's just hot like he's su such an amazing drummer but same with elvin elvin's like behind the beat all the time and there's like such a different vibe and both of those guys are just like they're monsters but the it, but the, their pocket's so big but at the same time they're coming at it sort of from a different place um so you can kind of almost make put your spin on your vibe and your sound or whatever, just not just by that, but like that could be one of your things. Like you might f feel behind the beat more than you do like right on it or whatever. And that is part of the vibe that you're doing, you know? And it's interesting to, to think about those kind of things. Like, can you play a piece ahead of the beat? And can you play behind the beat? And can you play right on the beat or whatever? And then which do you like the best? Or maybe you like part A on this way and part B on this way and those kind of little shifts. So 
I mean, this is all about time, this episode. Yeah, this is... it seems that we got into the metronome thing. We had a lot to say about that, but that's good. Yeah. That's good. We've got a topic that we really dove into. And I mean, I still think we're scratching the surface. There's so much more. Oh, yeah, all right. Into it. It's like we just kind of like skipped a little bit about that's that, but uh, that's kind of the point. You know, so clearly, if you take anything from today's little podcast, get a metronome and get on it. <laughs> Learn how to use that thing as a tool, not just something to sit there and slap you left uh, about the face as you're, you're timing, but it really can be used to get into the intricacies and to fix your own internal pulse, get a broader sense of pulse, be able to play against it, play with it. Uh, it just it's just endless, you know, and if you spend months, maybe even years getting on top of it, it'll pay off with everything that you do. It becomes that you're, you'll be the, that guy, <laughs> the, the rhythm, the, the, the rhythmically correct guy for sure. Yeah, and I guess one to sort of hone in on what you just said, too, I think is the primary purpose of a metronome is as a pulse. Like it's, it's, it's a time tool. It's not to get your technique faster, which a lot of guitar players do, right? They're like, okay, I learned this at 100. Now I'm going to go to 105. Now I'm going to go to 110. Now I'm going to... But they're not really using it for timing practicing. They're using it to like improve their technique, which is <laughs> the least important thing the metronome does. That's like... The, the time's like the, the most valuable thing. Like if you learn to put it on 80 beats per minute and, and just hang out there for like two weeks you know and really trying to hone in on just feeling it and like it's not too much information like can you like be in it and and be on the pulse and and can you play against it and play with it and all that stuff it makes a big yeah, difference that's the big thing is can you play against it and then go back with it can you switch that back and forth that's right. honestly that's one of the the last pieces that i have my beginner students play does that a little bit uh, not against the metronome, but it goes from an eighth straight eighth notes to a triplet, and that transition. Uh, and that's uh, I tell them like, first lesson. I don't care how quick you play. I care if you can keep it in time. That's it. As long as the quarter note says the quarter note, I'm good. You can do it at 40 beats a minute. I don't care, but I want it to be even. You know, I don't yeah. want you to speed up and slowing down. And so the last piece is this uh, thing called the Spanish study in the node book or the goal piece of the semester. And uh, it has a transition right in the middle of it where it goes from straight eighth notes to a triplet. And I'm like, you got to nail the transition between the two. Got it. I want that under, and that's kind of like the proof is in the pudding, so to speak, of that they have that underlying pulse. Because if you can keep that steady, not speed up or slow down, you know, you know, if you can nail that, you're good. That's totally fine in my book. And most of them, pretty much I haven't had one person not hit it, you know, with that. It's, it, it looks a lot more intimidating than it is on the page. You know, you look at the students first look at it, they're like, oh my God. I'm like, don't be scared of the amount of black on the page. Never be, <laughs> never be scared about the amount of black on the page and never get cocky with the amount of white on a page. Because just because there's whole, not a whole lot of notes doesn't mean that it's easy. Sure. So, it uh, it uh, it's one of those things. Either way, it, just don't get cocky. Just do it. <laughs> just do it. Anyways, all right, cool. Well, that was a good one. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for listening, and uh, we will see you all next week.